So loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that is the good news of the gospel today. Aren't you grateful for that? That God loved us so much that he gave us everything we did not deserve. He gave us his one and only son. We're so glad that you're here to worship with us today. Go ahead and be seated for just a moment. If you're one of our guests this morning, uh, we're especially glad that you're here. And if you wouldn't mind, there's a communication card in the seat back in front of you. If you would fill that out and place that in one of the wooden boxes on your way out this morning. It's a special time anytime we get to come to the Lord's table together where we are reminded of that wonderful love that we just sang about, that love that cost God, his one and only son, where Christ went to the cross for us, where his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And this is a time where we come to remember all that God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So in a moment, as these elements are handed out, we want you to take this time to remember 
to reflect on God's wonderful love, to reflect on that body as you hold that bread in your hand, to reflect on the body of Christ that was broken. And as you hold that juice that is a reminder of his blood that is shed for us and poured out for us, remember what all he has done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Scripture says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. In this way, let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. If we're properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. The writer of this passage reminds us of the importance of this time. And it's something that we do not take lightly. It is something that we take very seriously because, again, it costs Jesus his very life. And we're to use this time to examine ourselves, to make sure that our relationship with the Lord is where it needs to be. So, again, as the elements are passed in just a moment, and you hold those elements in your hand, let that be a reminder. But also, let this be a time of examining our lives and seeking God with all of our hearts and making sure that we're in the right relationship with him. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day. Thank you for this time of remembrance as we remember your wonderful love for us. God, sometimes we, we go through life and we get busy and we allow things to get in between us and, and you, that re wonderful relationship that we have. God, sometimes we even don't take time to remember what that relationship cost. So God, as we come to this table together today, as we come to this time of communion, I do pray that each one of us would just take a few moments to reflect on our relationship with you. God, if there's anything in our life today that's hindering that relationship, anything that's not right between us, God, I pray that you would reveal that and we would be quick to make that right today. God, I pray that as we hold these elements in our hands today that we would remember the body of Christ that was broken, beaten for us. We would remember that blood that was shed, that, that blood that was poured out that covers our sins so that we can stand before you holy today, holy through what Christ has done. God, as we reflect on this moment, God, let this be a wonderful reminder of that day that we came to know you as our personal Lord and Savior. How our lives are changed today, how we're different today, how we have freedom today, 
in you through Jesus Christ. God, help us not to take this time lightly. But help us to recognize and see and know your wonderful love today. In Christ's name that I pray, amen.
Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's stand together as we continue our time of worship and reflect on God's love and prepare our hearts for God's message to us today.
Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3, and I've enjoyed this character study. We're just looking at different characters in the Bible, and we're looking at it from the perspective of leadership. I mean, we learned some leadership lessons from all these characters we've looked at so far, um, and I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed digging and getting to, to present some of these. I know David has as well, and so we're continuing in our series, Follow the Leader, and today we're going to look at a man called John the Baptist. Um, and, and, and what we've been saying is that every one of us lead someone. We're all leaders. You, you, dads, you lead your kids. You lead your wife. Hopefully, you're leading your family. In the workplace, you're a leader. If you're owning a company, you're leading people that work for you in the school. Make no mistake about it, there are leaders and there are followers, and we need to be leaders. And we've been talking all throughout this series how our world is in desperate need of good leadership. Amen? And so we're just looking at these characters and saying, what can we glean from their lives and their examples? What can we apply in our own, you know, uh, context, whether it's in the parenting or in school or in, in the community or in the church or at work? How can we apply these principles in our lives? And, and my conviction is, I don't want to just teach a story. Um, I know God's word's powerful, right? It's going to go out and it's going to accomplish what it's sent to do. But there's the, the responsibility on my shoulders to just preach the word. And, and I know how, I, how seriously I take that. And so when we're done today, my heart's desire is that God's word speaks to you personally. That God's word just speaks to you where you're at and you can find something that you can chew on, something that you can apply and say, you know what, that was helpful in my life and that was a challenge in my life. And so that we walk out of this place a little different than when we came in. God's word changes lives, amen? And so I pray that you would just have that kind of spirit and that heart as we share this story of John the Baptist. We look at his life um, and pull some character leadership lessons from that. So let me begin with a question. Why are you here? 
You say, Shane, my wife made me get out of bed and come to church. That's why I'm here. My parents told me to get in the car. We're going to church. That's why I'm here. I'm not talking about that why. I asked the question too, why am I here? When I was younger, I remember I had a vision, I had a dream for my life, and it was Nashville, Tennessee. It was a big tour bus. I mean, I saw it painted in my head, the color and all the detail with the name Shane on the side of it. I was going to be somebody. You should have seen it. It was a cool, cool vision. But that was my, that's what I thought my purpose was early on. I thought, man, that's what I was, God giving me the gift to sing. I write a little bit. Maybe he wants me to go to Nashville. That's my thing. But the more I grew in my faith and the more I learned, I realized that it really isn't a matter about, it doesn't matter where you live, what you do, what your vocation is. There's a purpose that is so much greater than that little temporary purpose. Amen? So hear me say this, that all of us have a purpose. Um, there, there's a phrase that says, the chief end of man is to glorify God. You know, we're on this earth, and our goal is to bring glory to him. How do we do that? I believe, first off, by knowing him, the most important decision we can make in life is to know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Amen? It's to know him, but second to that, and, and kind of the thrust of this message today, is and to make him known. This, this idea of leadership, we're leading people is to know him first and then to make him known to those that God puts around us in our lives. And so that's kind of the heart of where we're going today. There's so much at stake in our world today, in our culture. And so hopefully we can grab a hold of this. So looking at John the Baptist, he absolutely knew his purpose, didn't he? Well, I mean, maybe you know that, maybe you don't know that. But if you read the Gospel of Luke, you get the background of his story. And so before he's even born, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Before he's born, an angel appears to his soon-to-be dad, Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was ministering in the temple. And Gabriel, the angel, shows up and says, Hey, listen, you and your wife have been trying to have kids for years. Elizabeth, y'all are old and you're barren, but I got some good news. God has heard your prayers and you're about to have a son, a miraculous childbirth. Right? And listen to what the angel says about this son that Zechariah and Elizabeth would have. He says, You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Did people rejoice at your birth? I don't think so. Maybe your parents, right? But I mean, John says, Many people rejoice um, at his birth. It says, For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, he's going to be awesome. He's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. And, of course, he says he will never touch wine or an alcoholic drink. This was the Nazarite vow. It says he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And listen to what he'll do. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. John the Baptist. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. That's power, right? He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. John the Baptist was going to come onto the scene in a powerful way and have a tremendous impact. His goal, his mission, his purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. And man, would he do that. Isaiah chapter 40 prophesies about him 700 years before he's born. Malachi, you know, there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and the Gospels. And that 400 years before John the Baptist was born, Malachi the prophet prophesied about John the Baptist. And then, of course, John comes on the scene, comes out of the gate, and he's a strange duck, man. He comes out of there, out of the wilderness, wearing a coat of camel's hair, a leather belt, preaching a message that was firm and clear, and he had a great impact. And so, so much so that Jesus himself, think about this, Jesus, in Matthew 11, 11 says, 
of all people ever born to a woman, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Think about that for a little encouragement. Jesus saying, hey, John the Baptist, there's no one greater than him. So that's why we're looking at his life today. He was great. He was a great leader. He was very powerful in his mission, and he was effective in it. And so what I want to do is we consider his leadership role and what he accomplished in his life, his commitment to that mission, even throughout the rest of his life, the entirety of his life. And we're, like, we're looking at leadership lessons. What can we glean from that? And so looking at his effectiveness, what made him effective? What were the ingredients or the qualities in his life that caused him to be effective enough that he would just maintain his mission and his purpose and to hear that accolade from Jesus say, no one's greater than John the Baptist. That's the, the source of what I want to share with you today. And hopefully we can glean a little uh, truth and nuggets from that in our own context as a leader. So look at with, with me in Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And we'll just read the text. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts, which, here's a side note, Google tells me that locusts have about 60% protein as opposed to 20 in beef and chicken. So, just in case you want to know that. And it's got to be true because it was on the internet. So, John's munching on locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have uh, repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, um, who, uh, excuse me, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the shaft from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the shaft with never-ending fire. I'm going to read on. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. You remember John says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world comes to John to be baptized, and it says, but when John tried to talk to him about it, he says, look, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you, Jesus. He said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. What a great moment that must have been for John the Baptist in the River Jordan to witness all of that. 
But the impact of John's ministry, his mission, was very effective. And as I said, we're going to look at the text and pull out three qualities or three reasons, if you want to look at it, why he was so effective. And I, and I really think that we can somehow use these in our own lives and apply that um, truth today. So the first one was, John's message was clear. The message that John preached, it wasn't a muddy, confusing message. It was crystal clear. In fact, many times it says that he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight the path for the Lord. His message was absolutely crystal clear. Now, sometimes we can get a little bit muddy and we can confuse people with a bunch of theological terms and a bunch of teachings. And I think the message needs to be just as simple as it always has been. There is a God who's a holy God who can't look upon sin. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need a rescue. We need salvation. The message is very simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's good news, right? And that message is simple. For whosoever. Say whosoever. So who does that include? I don't know. Whosoever. Whosoever will call upon his name will be saved. His message was absolutely clear. Look at Isaiah, or just listen along, if you will, to Isaiah in his prophecy about John the Baptist. 700 years before he's born. It says, <clears throat> listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Do you see the imagery there? The prophet Isaiah is saying, let's make the path as straight and as easy for people to see the glory of God and all will see him. Make the path straight. The message is clear. He says, if the, if the road has got curves in it, let's straighten it out. If there's a valley, let's fill up that valley. If there's a hill or a mountain, let's lower that. If there's a rough patch in the road, which there is in West Texas, but make it as smooth as possible. And here's my conviction. I believe that we should make it as easy as possible for people to know Jesus. Amen? In our lives, in the context of a, you know, a dad or a parent in the in the. You know, the family is like to make it as easy as we can for our family to know the same God that we worship. I wish that when I got saved, it was automatic that all my kids were saved too. But let me just tell you this truth. God has no grandchildren. Right? We all each individually have to trust in the gospel for ourselves, making us all children of God. There are no grandchildren to God. And so it is so important for us as we know God, making him known, making the path as straight as we can for our children to see him and to respond to him. Amen? Now, sometimes we can muddy up the message. Our message is not clear because our actions don't line up with our speech. Nobody in this room struggles with that, I know. But the reality was John would address the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus would rebuke them often. And the problem was they were going around making these big audacious claims. And, and they were talking the talk, but their walk didn't match the talk. And so as a result, they were called hypocrites. And sometimes in our context, as we consider those that we lead, when our talk doesn't match our walk, we, we muddy the message and we make it harder for those people to see Christ in us and for us to make straight the path that leads to the Lord that prepares the way. You know, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. He literally 
went ahead of Jesus. We don't literally go ahead of Jesus, but we do go ahead of him in the context of those that we lead in our families, right? Because we're, we're the leaders, and we're saying, hey, let me make the path as straight as I can, maybe not muddy the waters. The message is crystal clear that there is a holy God in heaven, and he loves all people. But this holy God is holy, and he can't look up on sin. And because of that, there's a, there's a sin problem. There's a gap between us and God. And the good news of the gospel is that God made a way for us to be made right with him through the death, the burial, which we just observed in communion, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that good news? So to know God and to make him known, let's make sure our message is clear. A second thing that I notice in this text that I love about John, and if you think about it, <clears throat> John had um, just enormous success. People from Jerusalem, Judea, and the wilderness all came to listen to him preach. I mean, he was, he was the hot shot. He was the, the guy that everybody, I mean, this strange fellow coming out of the wilderness with camel hair and, and with eating locusts and honey, everybody wanted to hear what John had to say. And so it had been so easy for John to kind of get filled up with pride, a little arrogant, like, do you know who I am? I mean, the prophets prophesied about me 700 years before I was born. I had the Holy Spirit before I was even born. Top that. You ain't done that. Or as churches try to do sometimes and pastors, how many people did you baptize this year? I'm like, no, I'm not keeping track. Right? John goes, all of them. I, you know, I baptize a lot of people. I mean, John had every opportunity to be kind of cocky and to be filled with pride. But look at his, his response. Look at his attitude. Look at his clothing. I mean, he's just a tire. What he wore. How many know he didn't care what people thought he looked like? Camel, I mean, you're not going to appeal to a lot of people with a coat of camel hair and a leather belt, munching on locusts and eating honey, right? And I love that because he could have been dressed up like the Pharisees. I mean, you know, they were all spit-shined. You know, like I'm dressed up today because we did communion, right? Um, but if you know me, um, 18 years ago, 18 and a half years ago when I came to Canyon, um, man, I, I'm a ball cap. Ask David when I went to work for him in Liberal. I went to work on a Monday with a ball cap. And he says, what are you doing? Coming to work. Not in that hat. I was like, oh, no. There are rules. <laughs> but when I first moved here uh, two and a half years ago, I remember going to an eye doctor appointment, and you fill out the paperwork. What do you do? What's your occupation? And I put on there, pastor. Now, listen, I'm, I'm wearing a pair of camouflage shorts, white legs, flip-flops, a T-shirt, and a ball cap. And I say, pastor, almost like I'm ashamed of it. Like, I probably should look more like a pastor if I want to put that on a piece of paper. And so the lady says, you're a pastor, huh? And I'm like, yeah, no, I try not to look like it. But here, here's the thing I've learned is, you know, there, there's something to be said about dressing up and looking nice, but God looks at the inside. And I'm more concerned about the content of my character. It's not always perfect, but I'm more concerned about that image than I am the physical image that people might see. And I love that about John. Coat of camel hair, a leather belt, munching on honey and, 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 and locust and, and eating honey. He didn't care about his appearance. That was a humble appearance. Humble appearance, Right? We'll just look at um, some more of his humility. I love this because in verse 11 he says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Greater than I am. I mean, I was baptized in the mother's womb with the Holy Spirit. It was prophesied that I would be the forerunner of Christ. It would be easy for me, because Jesus was younger, he's born later, to say, hey, Jesus, aren't you glad I made the path straight for you? I made it a little easier for you to manage this ministry of yours. He could have been so cocky, so arrogant. But yet, when he speaks of Jesus, he says, there's someone coming after me 
that is greater than I am. You know what that means to me? He didn't lose sight of who he was. You know, people leave home. One of the things that we would say is, don't forget where you came from. That's us saying, hey, don't get too cocky. Don't get arrogant, but just stay humble. Remember your roots. John knew who he was, and he said, there's someone coming that's greater than I am. So much greater, in fact, that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandal. I love that humility, right? When John approaches Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus approaches John in the, in the River Jordan, John's response to Jesus, I'm the one that needs to be baptized by you. This is John the Baptist. Gets the name Baptist because he's baptizing everyone. Jesus comes to him and he says, I should be baptized by you, Jesus. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it's got to be that way for now. And so John baptized Jesus. But you see humility over and over again. And John, they asked John straight out, who are you? And John says, I am not the Messiah. I love that. He knew his place. He was humble in his attitude. And I want to know that, you know, when we present ourselves, as we know God and we make him known, I think sometimes we can miss the opportunities that are around us when we start getting cocky, kind of get arrogant. We think we got everything figured out and we miss the opportunity to connect with people. There's something to be said about humility. God loves it. God blesses it. But pride, on the other hand, it says God hates it. Right? And pride comes before fall. In fact, let me give you a few verses. Proverbs 8, 13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Proverbs 29, 23, Pride ends in humiliation while humility brings honor. Romans 12, 3, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, Paul says, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given you. James says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he'll exalt you in due time. Why? Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. I think that's something in our culture that's kind of um, foreign to us anymore because we're all trying to be somebody. We're all trying to be successful. We're all trying to be all that. And I just think there's something that we can grab a hold of in humility, not forgetting where we came from, who we belong to. And there's always somebody greater. Amen? So his message was clear. Prepare the way. We see his humility. And I wonder if our attitudes sometimes display humility or pride to others, I think there's a benefit to humbly walking before God. It doesn't mean weakness. It just simply means having a good estimation of who you are. Yes, God uses me. God has gifted me with certain things. But man, I'm not all that. There's always somebody greater. Thirdly, I like this too. And I would not recommend this approach um, when put in the situation like John was. But look at verse 7. It says, when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them, you brood of vipers, you brood of snakes. I wouldn't advise that. Not a good way to influence people, right? You, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? See, he's addressing something that he knew to be true, that the Pharisees were so good at whitewashing the tomb. In fact, Jesus later said, you guys are full of dead man's bones, but on the outside, you're like a, a whitewashed tomb. You're pretty to look at, but you're stinky on the inside. 
He says, you guys say all the right things, but your actions don't line up with that. And John is telling them how it is. He is being absolutely honest with them and declaring the truth about them. He says, all right, listen, prove by the way you live that you have um, repented of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live. Not in order to be made right with God, but prove by your actions and the way you live that you have repented and turned to God. And then he says, don't just say to each other, we're safe for we are the descendants of Abraham. You know what? We're Jews, and so it's all good with us. He says, uh-uh, you can't do that. Don't say that we're safe because we're Abraham's seed or descendants. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. He goes on to tell him about the judgment of God. He's basically saying, hey, you need to live the talk, not just talk the talk. But I love this because he speaks honestly with them. I think about in our perspective today, in our culture, we live in a society. Well, Paul talks about it to Timothy. He says there's a day coming when people are going to gather around themselves teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. Not necessarily what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. So you see these, um, we call them Dr. Feelgood, these preachers that get on TV and tell us everything that we want to hear, and very rarely do they tell us what we need to hear. And so, not John the Baptist John wasn't a doctor feel good. John was like, hey, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to speak the truth. And that's what we need to hear today. Amen? And we, we encounter people all the time. And, and I don't know about you, but it's so hard to confront sin or to confront bad attitudes or actions. And, and then we know that we have this responsibility. God's word already declared it truth. And listen, I will apologize when God apologizes. And God has not apologized. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his truth still stands. Amen. That's a whole other sermon. But my responsibility is to speak honestly, not to pacify, not to coddle, not to sugarcoat and say, oh, it's okay. But to say, hey, you know what? God's word has something to say about that. And I'll love you enough that I'm willing to speak honestly with you and potentially offend you. Not my heart, but I'm willing to speak honestly with you because I care enough about you that I want to see you living in a way that honors God. How many know we need a little bit more of that in our culture today? Parents, we need a little bit more of that in the home. Rather than telling our kids, I just want you to be happy. Well, as long as you're happy, no, I want you to be in God's will, living according to God's standard. Listen, we're not going to do it perfect, but, but I want to make sure that we're lining up with his word. We need to speak honestly with those around us. And I wonder if we're honest in our responses sometimes. Now, keep in mind, I said, let's don't do the approach of John the Baptist because we go around telling people that they're idiots and that they're, uh, you know, sinners are going to burn in hell and they're brood of vipers and all that good stuff. It's probably not going to give us very much of an inlet, inroad to be able to influence them. But in humility, in humility, to say, hey, listen, here's what God's word says. Here's the truth. And listen, if our chief end is to glorify God, if our ultimate purpose in life is not how much money I'm going to make, how successful I'm going to be in a business, how big a church grows, who I marry, where I live, what vocation I have, those are the things that we chase after, isn't it? What does God want me to do? And we, we sweat about this. But think about it for just a second. If you live 100 years, 100 years, and if we could just see today this big radar screen and that represented all of eternity, can I tell you something? That 100 years is like a speck of dust on the radar of eternity. Do we really want to spend all of our time wondering, God, what's my, what's my role? What's my mission? What is your purpose for my life in just this 100 years? How many know there's a greater purpose? And the purpose is to glorify God, to know him and to make him known. There's a lot at stake. And so I think we absolutely learn some stuff from old John's life, don't you? 
We look at the opportunities that God puts in front of us and, and if we're going to be effective in, in the families and schools and the communities and churches, just to take some of his cues and say, you know what, the message is important. I should do everything I can to make the way clear, straight, with no obstacles in the way because I want my children to know God. Right? I don't want to muddy the water. I don't want to confuse them. I want to make it as plain as I can because there's something at stake. All eternity is at stake. So I'm going to make the message absolutely clear like John was clear in his message. I'm going to walk in my character and my walk in humility because I know that I'm not all that. I don't have everything figured out. And there's someone that is far, far greater than us. I know that may come as a shock to some people, right? Like we think the world revolves around us sometimes. It ain't about you. It ain't about me either. There's someone far, far greater. Amen? So walking in humility and then in honesty with those that God puts around us. The opportunities come to us every day. And we have a choice to be peacemaker or peacekeeper. Can I tell you the difference between both? A peacekeeper is one that says, you know what, I just want to keep the peace so I'm not willing to say anything that might ruffle feathers or speak truth because I don't want them to be offended at me or to walk away from me. So I'm just going to keep the peace and keep my mouth shut. And, and I understand that and I get it. But that's not what we're called to be. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. Those who make peace. And so to make peace, sometimes you've got to speak truth. You've got to speak honestly. In our culture today, I really believe there are people in our culture today that are just hungry for truth. Just tell me like it is, Shane. I can handle it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't make me just feel good. Tell me what God's word says. I want to learn it. And I don't want to apply it in my lives. We need honesty. And if we're going to be effective in our own role as a leader, whether it's in the home whether it's in the school, in the community, in the church, whatever context God puts you in, is he wants you to know him. He wants you to make him known to those around you. And if you want to do that effectively, I would say that's a great place to start, looking at the example of John the Baptist. Amen? Jesus, to say of John, there's no one greater. Why, why would he say that? I think it was because he was on point, on mission, and his whole life's goal was to point people to Jesus. I can't think of any greater goal. You know, when we get to heaven one day, the only thing that we can take with us is souls, people, right? You've heard it said that you never see a hearse hauling a U-Haul. Can't take it with you when you go. But we can take people. And I just want you to know there's room. Amen? And, and, and I want you to know that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love me more than he, he loves you. I mean, God loves the world. And if we truly understand our overall purpose and mission... We're going to do our best to make that path clear, to speak honestly with them, to walk humbly, and maybe, just maybe, we'll be effective in our own context, in our families, our schools, our workplaces, etc., and so on. Amen? So here's a question. You hear me say it all the time. The most important decision that you and I can make on this earth right now while we have breath in our lungs is to place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The most important and I would say second to that, because, I mean, we're not done there, right? The second to that is to say, you know what? God, I want other people to know the same joy that I have, the same hope that I have. We, we lost a, a friend last night to death, and, and that family just so encouraging. They said, hey, we know, we know where she is. We're absolutely confident in that because of her faith. I, I don't know about you, but I love the hope that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to know it, but I want other people to know it as well. That's, I think, the chief end of all people is to glorify God by knowing him and making him known. Amen? If you're here today and you've not placed your faith in Christ, I always extend an invitation after we dismiss. You'd like to come visit, fill out a card, make a phone call. I'd love to be able to talk to you about that. 
But can I just challenge each one of us to not go through life aimlessly and just thinking that we're here by chance, but there's so much at stake. And in a world that is filled with terrible leadership, there's a call, there's a need for godly leadership to rise and to make a difference and make an impact. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your challenge and the example. Lord, not only John the Baptist, but the ones that we've looked at so far and the ones that we will look at in the coming weeks. Father, I thank you that, Lord, we can use their, their stories, their examples for our own lives and apply these truths. And Father, I don't know where everybody else is at, but God, I'm just moved by that and, and being effective. I want to be effective at what you've called me to do. I want to be on point, on target, committed to the mission. And Father, I just ask that you will help me and everyone else in this room see how important it is for us to make the message clear. Lord, I'm not talking about e easy believism. Some people criticize that, but the message is simple. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Why do we need to be saved? Because our sin separates us from you. You're a holy God. And so, Father, help us to make the message clear. Help us to walk in humility, not get puffed up with pride and arrogant because we know you hate that and we know that pride comes before a fall, but help us to walk in humility before you and before man Lord, there's something about that that is just attractive, and I pray that we would understand and walk in that humility. Father, and I ask that you would use us in a powerful way, Lord, as we walk in this life and we walk in this earth with our families, Lord, to preach the message with clarity, and Lord, to speak honestly with the people that you put around us, our children. Lord, that we don't pacify, that we are not guilty ourselves of tickling the ears, just telling our loved ones what they need to hear, but we love them enough to tell them the truth because we want them, like we um, have experienced this hope that is in the gospel, we want them to also experience that. So, Father, would you just help us to apply however you want us to apply this in our lives, in our context. And, Father, at the end of the day, it's for your glory. It's not for ours. But, Lord, we're simply a forerunner like John was, Lord, as we lead other people uh, to know you like we know you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We ask that you'll be honored in our lives today, glorified in our lives as we leave this place. And we humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.